Hello, fellow lovers of all things green. I'm Mary Stone, and welcome to Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries. It's not only about gardens, it's about nature's inspirations, about grasping the glories of the world around us, gathering what we learn from Mother Nature, and carrying these lessons into our garden of life. So let's jump in in the spirit of learning from each other. We have lots to talk about. Good morning, it's Mary Stone speaking with you from the screen porch, and I'm not sure I'll be out here very long. It is, uh, let's see, maybe 18 degrees this morning. <laughs> I have a cup of coffee. I wish I could swim in it, <laughs> but uh, it's still a lovely day, and what a contrast from last weekend where it was 65, a real anomaly for a January day here in Blairstown, New Jersey. And as I was walking around last weekend doing some stick cleanup from the ice storm a while back, I was recalling a column that I wanted to share with you because it's um, it was a dreary sort of weekend, but amongst the dreariness are some amazing and adorable green treats. And this column was written last January, and it starts like this. What a rainy start we've had for the new year. Or, should I say, a continuum of the rainy growing season. It's worrisome, really. Our ground is so saturated. And yes, I miss the snow. Though please freeze the ground, Mother Nature, before bringing it on, for fear our beautiful trees will topple. So I'm actually smiling about this because the weather pattern this year has been similar and our ground is now frozen because it went from 65 to below 20. Last weekend, I roamed the property looking for beauty amongst the dreary skies, muddy lawn, and lack of frosting. Along the Jacksonburg Creek, on which I am blessed to live, there's a welcome swath of green, a carpet of moss I always admire. Sadly, we have downed trees on each side of the brook that fell during last winter's trivecta, some have moved down river in the heavy rains. The brook has swollen to 25 feet wide. Again, they call it Jacksonburg Creek, but truly it's a brook and sometimes it's a river. As I crouched down to appreciate the many kinds of moss that have gathered to create a magnificent tapestry, I noticed a charming little red berry. Attached to it, dainty dark green leaves with veins in pale yellow. I've seen this little beauty before on hikes along the Appalachian Trail, but I had never noticed it creeping around the moss. Partridge berry is a native woody evergreen perennial which trails along forest floors and riverbanks in shady areas. It roots from the nodes, by the way the nodes are where the branches and leaves sprout from the stems, and can form thick colonies making a delightful ground cover. It's vine-like, though it meanders, not climbs, it does not propagate easily from seed, rather by cuttings. But please don't pilfer unless you have permission. <laughs> Native plant nurseries have them for sale. It looks quite festive, deep red and scarlet, which is why partridge berry is often used in holiday pots and terrariums. And as you would have guessed, I took a picture of this cute little partridge berry, and I couldn't help myself but put a little troll doll next to it. So if you go on the Garden Dilemmas website, you'll see the little red feet of my troll. Speaking of terrariums, as I took photos of this little cutie and the moss surrounding her, it felt as though I were in a miniature forest. I, a troll of sorts, lurking amongst a carpet of fur. 
It made me feel small in comparison to the world around me, yet big amongst the moss. Further research, I learned Native American women made the leaves and berries into tea and drank it during childbirth. The little berries are edible too. They say they taste like Swedish tart cucumbers, but I didn't nibble. Let's leave them for the wildlife and admire them amongst the moss and the trees. I have to smile about this as well because I, as a child, used to gather moss and little sticks and stones and make terrariums, not always out of, you know, proper containers. Sometimes it was a shoebox, but maybe that's what gave me my garden start. And the other funny thing about troll dolls is I, I always admired them and my mother thought they were rather ugly. In fact, uh, I used to call her a troll when I was angry. <laughs> and I gave her a troll doll once, I think. In fact, in fact, I now am remembering this troll doll that is in the picture with red little boots on is one I gave my mom for Christmas. And somehow it ended up back to me. Anyway, thanks for listening. It's Mary Stone and I am about to go for a walk with Miss Ellie on this chilly day when we're anticipating a snowstorm. So I will get my frosting. I'm looking forward to it. Stay tuned for part two about groundhogs and beavers. What does that have to do with the garden? <laughs> it has a lot to do with the garden, especially when they eat all your stuff. But before we get into that, I just want to ask if you haven't done so already that you subscribe to the podcast so that it magically appears in your feed and share with others so more can join our community. Thanks so much. So I'm back from the walk and Kurt is out picking up sticks with the John Deere. So I'm not sure I'll be able to do this recording, part two. I, uh, I may take it inside, but uh, I have to admire his ambition and soon the chainsaw will be in gear. And soon Ellie will be joining me. So I took the column indoors. Let's see how this goes. Um, you may still hear some of the cleanup going on outside. So I started to say that um, as I was returning back from the walk, I was reminiscing about a column written a bit ago that was inspired by my neighbor. It starts with, Hello, fellow readers. Help! A woodchuck is eating my trees, writes Lucia. He's moved in right by my front door where there's a deep hole about a foot in diameter. So I think, do I bake a cake? Bring some wine or what? Who can I call to help him move to the San Diego Zoo? <laughs> Sincerely, crowded in Blairstown. What wit Lucia has who happens to live across the brook from me, hence her dilemma, could also be mine. While they are known to eat a twig or two, the name woodchuck has nothing to do with wood, and it is thought to have been derived from the Native American words weejack, woodchaw, or woodchuk. Woodchucks, also called groundhogs, prefer soft plant tissue, such as grasses, dandelions, clover, and vegetables, plus leaves. So I wrote back to Lucia, my bet is you have a beaver eating the trees and a groundhog living by your front door. Quite a party. Maybe you should bake a cake. <laughs> Woodchucks build remarkable homes with multiple exits and chambers. Beavers, on the other hand, burrow into banks with entrances to their dens underwater. The beaver, Castor canadensis, is North America's largest rodent and can readily chew and drop trees up to 2.5 feet in diameter or more. 
so the diameter meaning the size of the trunk, which is huge. To begin a dam, a beaver will drop a large tree at the edge of a river or creek. Uh-oh, Lucia, we have that! Which serves as a foundation and a filter to catch the floating debris the beaver will harvest upstream. There is no spray or device to deter your hefty invaders, and while tree gnawing can be prevented by wrapping chicken wire around the trunk, it's tough to do on a hundred trees. Eviction is the only effective way. For woodchucks, have a heart, the trap that is, or don't have a heart. It's up to you and your dog, but please don't tell me about it. There's something about being fuzzy. It brings a memory of when first um, Ellie came to my life. She was just a young, crazy, anxiety-ridden dog, and uh, she <laughs> found a den of woodchucks um, with the pups and grabbed one of them. And it was before she learned any commands. So I kept saying, drop it, drop it. She had no idea what I was asking her to do. And the poor thing finally did get dropped. And uh, there were no puncture wounds, but clearly was frightened in a way that, mm, let me just say, didn't end nicely for the woodchuck. And after that, I ended up leaving the um, den alone. I made sure Ellie didn't get near it because, you know, grown-up woodchucks can be pretty dangerous. So as it turned out, they all grew up and one of the woodchucks took up residence under the screen porch, which became evident when I came home with a couple of flats, actually $200 worth of flats of annuals, and the critter mowed them all down. So that was not a happy time. And I did have to, let's just say, have a heart. Anyway, beaver removal is trickier and you'll need a permit from your division of fish and wildlife, typically, if you're gonna do it yourself. But of course, it's more suggested to hire an expert by contacting, you know, if you have a um, wildlife control unit or game commission. Uh, although I have to say, I did call our game commission just out of curiosity to find out what's involved with removing a beaver. And I was told that um, typically, unless the animal is causing a flooding problem, they give the beaver the benefit of the doubt. Because often, beaver move on if they don't like where they are. So there you go, Lucia. Maybe it's best to skip the cake, Miss Hospitality. <laughs> Garden Dilemmas? askmarystone.com. Thanks for listening, and I appreciate you coming by. Oh, I'm going to add a little more to this episode with a little bit of a chat about Groundhog Day. It seems fitting, right? So I'm back on the screen porch, and the snow is coming. I am excited like a child. I just love snow. I am sure Punxsutawney Phil would not see his shadow now. How can I talk about groundhogs and not mention Groundhog Day, which is always a fun thing to think about. It happens every year on February 2nd, and I wrote about it a few years back. Thought I'd share little bits of it. As the folklore goes, if the groundhog sees his shadow, there'll be six more weeks of winter. And if he doesn't, it will be in early spring. Isn't it funny? The result always seems to be that he doesn't see a shadow. I don't know why that is. I think because everyone's excited about spring, except for me, because I'm still doing my snow dance. I've always wondered how we know what the groundhog sees. Lo and behold, I saw this year's broadcast on Groundhog Day at Gobbler's Knob in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. It's the first time I've seen the festivities and admit it would be fun to attend. Given it's only four hours west of here, I may just put it on my bucket list.
There you go. Precisely at 7.30 a.m., a group of men, formally dressed in top hats, convene around a tree trunk. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is time. The crowd ignites with hooting and hollering. The stage men are silent. Two handlers duck down, their backs to the crowd, and take the furry fellow from his den, and hand Punxsutawney Phil to another who brushes off the straw while holding him in his arms, much like a domestic cat. Then he lifts him high to the crowd as a Heisman trophy, bringing a roar of excitement and applause. He seemed tame and enthralled with the attention, though the handlers were wearing protective gloves to match their black suits adorned with rose boutonnieres. I thought maybe he's a pet, and it turns out to be true. The Punxsutawney Groundhog Club takes care of Phil year-round. With an average life expectancy of six years, it's likely that there's been over 22 Punxsutawney Phils to date. I have more of the dialogue from that uh, broadcast, and you may enjoy that on GardenDilemmas.com. But uh, I just wanted to say that as much as I am into folklore, in fact, uh, Episode 7 talks about winter folklore. If you haven't listened to that, please jump back to it. Uh, but the thing is, Punxsutawney Phil is more often wrong than he is right. The average is basically, I read, 39% of the time he is correct. And that was from LiveScience.com, where I read about that based on the Storm Facts Almanac's data. But still, Groundhog Day is a fun tradition, and whenever it comes, spring is always something to celebrate. Though not so much the garden damage caused by groundhogs, as cute as they can be. Garden Dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com So I'm back outside with Ellie. The snow is coming. I am so excited. And Ellie is standing here. Say hello, Ellie. Say hello. Hello. The snow. It's snowing. It's exciting. I know. I know. I know. You want my gloves. I know. <laughs> She's got my gloves. What do you have? What do you have? <laughs> she just licked the mic. <laughs> anyway, I just thought I'd grab a little bit of that and my little bit of a snow dance. Snow dancing, snow dancing. As Kurt's picking up sticks. <laughs> and Ellie's playing ball, which is very rare. <laughs> oh, have a great day. Thanks for coming by. You can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at GardenDilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag Mary Elaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from our screen porch or inside if it's too darn chilly. And if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe for free and uh, share with others so more can share in our community. Have a great day.